and welcome to the inaugural Sunday Joint with Tyler Brewer and Jamie Brewer. And we are the Brewer Brothers. How are you going? So this is the Sunday Joint. And what this is, is basically we are going to be sitting and reviewing Matt Warshaw's newsletter that goes out every week to the Encyclopedia of Surfing subscribers. And he does these awesome, awesome writing, and it's incredible. And you get to hear all these really cool stories and everything about it. And it's so lovely. And we want to just make a podcast about it. And so this is it. And we're just picking topics off the Sunday joint to discuss. And yeah. And what yeah, qualifies us to like talk a, about it? It's kind of <laughs> like, uh, you know, hi, I'm Jamie. <laughs> and this is and, Jamie. Yeah, it's what doesn't, you know, Matt says that after he types it, the thing he looks forward to most is Monday reading all the responses to it and all the comments. And I've always thought, oh, I'd love to hear what all those comments sound like. I'd love to hear all those voices. And so this is kind of like an opportunity to just give some sound to it, making the audio version of the feedback to his joint. Exactly. So, so yeah. And, um, Little bit about us. We're two brothers, grew up surfing in New York. Uh, we just devoured surf content our whole lives, and we have like weird encyclopedic knowledge. And that's really all you need to know. And that's it. And we're just going to talk about really fun stuff about surfing. We're riffing, and we're just going to, yeah, get into it. And we have some, we have a really good show. But before we start, we should give a little plug to the Encyclopedia of Surfing. Uh, if you are not a subscriber, you should. It's one of the greatest things ever. If you want like an unvarnished view of surf history, this is the place to go. If you want to look at cool old surf videos, this is the place to go. If you want to know anything about surf history, this is the place to go. $3 a month, $30 a year, makes a great gift. Do it. Go to eos.surf. Check it out. It's, it's our lifeline, and I spend... I've been spending a lot of time on it lately. I've been on actually the Vimeo channel, James, a lot. And just doing a playlist of the videos. You yeah, know, you can when, really go down a rabbit hole on that site. Holy shit. You know what one I did the other night that I just loved is the, he does the evolution of the, the backhand top turn. Oh, the with, that's with the, the Blondie Atomic song. Yes. And you know what, like, that's, I mean, to get back to that clip, one thing I, the, I, I feel kind of weird, like Matt Walsh has become like my new John Peel, like my DJ, like every so often, like I get turned on to so much new music from listening to his clips. <laughs> well, that's, that's what's so cool. He, he pick, tries to pick the music that fits the clips really nicely too. He's, he's got a really nice sensibility with that. So it, yeah, I've been on, I've been just Vimeo, just autoplay and just sit there, roll a joint and I just watch that stuff all. <laughs> yeah, and great. that backhand off the, the learning how to do the backhand off the lip, like, yeah, starting off with Cole Smith, the narrow than Cole Smith, yeah. um, showing how to do it. Like it really stopped me in my tracks and made me realize that after so long surfing, I haven't been doing it properly. And you know where you need to I'm get down to the bottom of the wave. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> it's just like, oh, of course, you get to the bottom of the wave, you twist your whole upper body so you've got your arms 
and your chest facing the wave and it whips you up into it and it and I started doing it walking down the street and I said my god like how come I haven't done it yet so I, I want to see down, video footage of that first you walking down the street and just randomly twisting your your whole torso and then the body following yeah, what, <laughs> what's what song would you put to that uh, uh, um safety dance uh, no, that's, that's already taken that that song that's why i would take it because there's coolness factor that into it duh wait didn't you say that their kind was he was hates quite that song he was displeased that yeah that was the song that went with his blazing board segment. he would have much preferred the saints you know aussie punk you know he's i remember derek yeah, he stayed with me and I, I asked him to sign my DVD copy of, of uh, Blazing Boards. And he was like, oh, I was like, ah, I love that song. And he's like, worst song ever for a segment. So displeased with it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I thought that was one of the best edits. Like, I love that clip. And you Particularly find- when he does that little like fakey. And with the music and like kind of just works like he, right at the end during yeah. the crescendo it yeah. was brilliant i don't know if you remember surfer magazine in the uh mid 80s mid late 80s did an article uh it was like 10 best stuff and one of the things was like the 10 worst songs to surf to <laughs> um, yeah i think ours was uh celebrate good times you and i we used to talk about that celebrate good times come on imagine like paddling out in that on like a heavy day or something oh man i have to say day might be mellowing what one of the songs on the list though i i thought was a great song for sir (laughs) rod stewart do you think i'm sexy (laughs) that would be awesome that would be great for a pt segment i think surf segments yes definitely definitely <laughs> yeah no so i love yeah the, the vimeo site's definitely cool it's awesome yeah. and speaking of lists oh speaking of lists of i know how good of a you know like you know running it nice transition so this episode we're going to be talking about an older sunday joint that matt had done uh, this is actually the the I believe one of the last Sunday joints before the before 2020 2020 shit shit shows started, um, but this is basically um, Matt's 13 biggest moments in surf of the 21st century. Now I um, think the original one was 10, and then he augmented it. I think this yes this around, yes right? because he did it originally through up to 2010, and then you know. He had to add on to it and everything. But, and I was wondering, like, 13 is a very unlucky number. In some, well, in some cultures might be lucky too, but it just feels like quite ominous. And I don't know. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you're saying like it'd be better to round it up. 15 just feels better. Or top 16, as in, as in a tribute to the top 16 of the top 30 back in the day when that was like a real important thing. <laughs> or we've decided why not go for lucky seven and uh, lop six off that's right so we're gonna go through this list and we're gonna like we're gonna slowly reveal the list to you yeah we might we might cull it a little bit we right well we'll go and we're gonna see what's worthy and if we don't think it's worthy to be on a list we're gonna nix it and maybe make a little argument for it if we feel the need to you know i get a little defensive about things sometimes 
Uh, but it's great. But before we start this list, James, we have to define what, what, are the, what, what defines biggest moments in surf. Um, you know, I wrote this out a little. Let me read this a little, just a bit. I mean, is it an event that changed the course of surfing? Or is it something that is just so well known and seen by so many eyes that, that it gives it weight? So, I mean, how would you, Jamie, my brother, my older brother, the person I looked up to always, how would you define biggest surf moments in yeah. the 21st century? Yeah, I guess you have two criteria. One is the most memorable ones, you know, that have like, you know, that really hit you, you know, and make you feel emotion and you can't forget that. Yeah. And the other one is a, a watershed moment, you know, something that changed the course of history. I, I tend to lean more on the side of things that have affected history or changed our perspective of surfing. That's what um, I just said. Yeah, yeah. I no, I know. I'm I'm saying I lean. Oh, of the two, that. I see. Yeah. Of the two, <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, of the two, I lean towards that. Um, that's what I I feel to me should be the biggest moments, the ones that have ripple effects in surfing, uh, as opposed to things that are just notorious. Because some of those notorious things can, are feats that can eventually be overtaken pretty easily. I mean. We don't really talk about Greg Knoll's 1969 big wave in Makaha is the biggest wave ever ridden anymore. You know, it mm. got overshadowed. So to me, the ones that have the ripple effect have, that have the impact should be highlighted. That's how well, I would characterize well, would it. Would you, I mean, this is one which I don't yeah. think this had any long-term effects, but it was like a big moment, but this is in the eighties, you know, yeah. so uh, Tom Curran and Mark Akalupu's Bell's Beach heat, yeah. Um, you know, in 1986, that was a really big moment. Still talked about as you know one of the greatest heats of all time, but it didn't actually change anything. It more just stamped stuff. I was is that still a big moment or not? I would say that there was a ripple effect from that heat um, in terms of the way people surf, the way people looked at surfing, and what they viewed as good surfing. That heat became the gold standard of good surfing and everyone emulated that from after i mean how many you know Kern in that heat also decided the 86 world title the first world title uh from a professional surfing tour tour perspective was won by an american and so that that just sent shockwaves because of not just because of the the heat but because of the ramifications of the heat the world title the world title having ramifications on Curran's influence on surfing in the 80s in the US particularly and that had an industry wide effect and stylistically how many surfers copied his surfing after that had he not won the world title that year would you say Curran would still have that same influence i don't know so yeah, that, I mean, I guess he, he did win the title in that heat. I suppose I was going to say is it was remembered more for being a great heat uh, rather than whereas the title was almost a second, a, a, a different thing because he would have won the world title had he won that heat or not if he won, you know. Well, the big question is, James, yeah. maybe it wasn't the heat that had the most impact, but Matt Warshaw's article 
of Curran winning the world title in Surfer that had that effect. <laughs> uh, I hate to break it to you. Matt Washer didn't write an article about No, that. not Matt. I mean, uh, Matt uh, George. Matt George. Sorry. Ugh, got him mixed up. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Anyway, let's get on with uh, uh, these 13 right, moments right. right here. Okay, so let's go with number one. Year 2000, Laird Hamilton's Millennium Wave. You. Yeah, that, that was, you go. That was you a go. pretty awesome wave. Um, uh, but yeah, like, was it like a massive impact? I mean, it, it was it was unbelievable. And I remember seeing that picture. It was just like, what the fuck? And also, uh, what what Matt Washer writes in the in the joint is that you know it was quickly superseded by. Uh, Shane oh, Dorian, Vitae David, Vitae David, then Shane Dorian, then yes. uh, Manoj Drolet, and everyone who's come after. Yes. Uh, Malik Joyo, like all of them have had like those kind of crazy millennium type waves. Yeah. And um, I mean, but one thing about that wave is it's still the most beautiful of them all. Like, that you've never seen as perfectly glassy a wave at Chopu with those colors. And it's funny, like Laird Hamilton, quite often, a lot of the stuff he's done has always been like really high quality, beautiful stuff, you know, yeah. even like his hair is beautiful. Like uh, that, <laughs> that's what it should be remembered for, the most beautiful big wave that's ever been written. <laughs> well, I, I think it, it um... That wave blew people's perception of what could be written. Mm. And I would say um, not long after that, like Shipstern's Bluff became known. And then people started seeking out slabs because they started mm. realizing towing in didn't have to just be for big waves, but could be for slabby waves. Good point, um, yeah. You know, up until that point, there hadn't really been a lot of towing at Chopu that I'm aware of. Um, you know, so that wave just opened the door to a whole new genre of surfing and, and so many new careers out of that too. Um, but then it also proved it was possible to survive that. Uh, and then it, it, was a, it was a foundational moment, I would say. I would say that wave and Corey Lopez's wave at Chopes, mm. those two are probably brick, I don't wanna say brick one and two, but that's like the concrete slab at the base right now. That is like, that set the foundation for it. Maybe Joel Fitz at Chopu back in like 95, I think, or 94 um, had been, and a few other people had surfed it. And, and the Gotcha break. Pro also. Of course. But, well, that was, that was 97. And that was originally the Black Pearl. And then 98 was the big year when Gotcha came on board. And that's when it, it blew the doors off and, you know, Conan Hayes lost to Kobe Aberton and then complained about it, saying he put his life on the line. But he's, his wave, he felt, should have gotten an 11 instead of a 10. Mm. So, <laughs> um, Nigel Tufnell wave. Yeah. Well, I would say this belongs on there. It definitely oh. does. You? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah? You in agreement yeah. here? Yeah. All right. All right. Number, Number two. two. 2005, Clark, Clark Foam, Foam Closes. closes. Well, I would say it's probably one of the most important, uh, you know, things that have happened. Uh, 
curious your thoughts on it. Well, you were you were out of the country at this time, right? You weren't living here when that happened, two thousand five. Right. Yeah. No, I was I was here in London at the time. Um, yeah. Now, like you you were saying that this was crucial in changing the whole surfboard building industry, um, because it opened the door to incredible new board tech. Yeah. And also mass produced boards overseas. But it's interesting, what do you think? Because Matt wrote that actually that was the prediction, but it didn't actually open the door to that. And what happened instead was that everybody realized that they liked PU surfboards. I have to disagree with Matt on it. You know, I think people, yes, initially for the first five, six years after, yeah, no doubt. But it, what ended up happening is it, it took the monopoly away, the control that Gordon Clark had. Like Grubby, I've heard stories where he like would shut down competitors. You know, he would, he would do things to, to make sure no one could compete. He was pretty ruthless in that way. And then if you, God help you, if you were a shaper and pissed him off, like you could be cut off of your supply. And while he ran it really nice, clean company, and it was, I mean, as clean as can be, I guess, dealing with petrochemicals. But um, to me, it seems like uh, it did have a, a longer effect because there's no monopoly controlling the blanks. It really did open up a lot of companies to experiment with different things. And there was a, I don't know if you remember, but there were people trying things with sugar blanks. They were trying with all these different types of, you know, uh, you know formula, formulations and EPS. But then also, I think it, it did help with the expedition of, of export, exporting surfboards overseas, being made overseas. I do think that had something to do with it. But look, what came out in the wake of it. Look at surfboard design now, Jabe. I mean, it's, fuck, man, you got lost. How many different techs does Matt Biolis use in his boards? He uses LibTech, he uses lightweight speed he does all these different things there's no one thing anymore and i would say that that clark foam closing is really important yeah there, i mean there are i mean now 15 years on there are a wide variety of texts this was someone in new zealand making um foam out of mushrooms i think yes yes um, mushrooms is awesome by the way in terms of packing and a foam replacement yeah it's kind of mind-blowing I don't know if you ever followed or, or seen how they like harvest mushrooms and then like make, they're making it into foam packaging and stuff instead of using foam and then it breaks down. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's a definitely, yeah. Mushrooms definitely have some magic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. Yeah. No, I have to agree. That was, that was a big deal. I mean, it, what was, what it also uh, gave proliferation was to, was some, actually some interesting surf articles afterwards yeah because people actually really wrote about like a real issue rather than just contests and stuff and there was yeah dave parmenter wrote some really interesting stuff about how it was going to be really difficult for the surf industry and you know he played devil's advocate to it being a, a good thing um it, it was it was a fascinating time when it closed yeah and i think gordon went on to great success as a cattle rancher. Like, I think he ended up what? being like one of the best cattle ranchers in the West 
Look it I up. was going to ask, like, how he, you know, what what did he do after? I've I've not followed. Up. I think he did really. I mean, he was he was it was a, a very. I I would love to read a real deep profile on him because everything I've read about him, when we were talking earlier tonight about interesting characters, I think he was a very interesting character actually, and a very yeah. clever guy. There hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, I know he's very private. And he, he definitely is someone who, who do, has not really talked much to surf media or any media, right? But in, in Surfers Journal, there's a lot of articles where people talk about him. Um, yeah. So you, you could glean stuff from that and, and uh, make a pretty good thing. Well, maybe we should look on the EOS and see what Maybe Maybe we <laughs> need to piecemeal EOS articles together for each other. You know, I got to tell, I got to tell, I got to talk about this quickly, Jamie. Um, so for our listeners, Jamie, what he had did for me for a gift for my birthday and it's the greatest gift, I think, or Christmas, I believe. It's like the greatest gift I've ever gotten. I gave him he, a bag of mushrooms. Well, he gave me a bag of mushrooms and, and a Joey bag of donuts. And uh, no, he, he basically took photos. He went through his whole surf magazine collection and took photos of everything Tom Curran and Wayne Lynch and then he put it all together into an anthology book. And it's got ads, photos, articles, like everything you can want. And you can see the evolution of these, no pun intended there, Wayne Lynch. Um, evolution, anyone? Is this thing on? Hello? Never mind. Um, but anyway, that you can see the evolution of the surfer. And I think that's, that was so cool. So I think maybe we, that's what we need to do with the encyclopedia. And we can just start piecemealing stuff for ourselves. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> um, okay. Moving up. Uh, number three, number three rip, curl rip curl search, search at Barra. Barra. The contest. The contest. Yes. Case, you know, and Barra, that Barra crazy, crazy, perfect point break in Mexico. 2006 was the year. It was a watershed year. I was in South America and Peru watching that contest live in the internet cafe of Juan Chaco <laughs> and was in a place near one of the longest laughs in the world and was frothing on this contest. Um, definitely a huge contest, really popular. I don't think it should be on the list, James. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I'm trying to go back really quickly to see what matt said why he chose it to be on the list um because i didn't watch the i i didn't actually watch that episode uh that episode, contest. That, contest. that episode of this oh, is I'm, the asp gosh i'm so <laughs> locked down we're talking about episodes and stuff <laughs> I, I mean it's i personally i think it was a a, a awesome no, contest. I think, yeah, but if you read what Matt said, it wasn't so much that it was the contest itself, although it was pretty awesome. He says that since then, the best thing of it, quite often in surfing right now, as far as content goes, is watching a live stream surf competition. Um, you know, what he said he really loved to do is to actually mute the screen. No, you know, yeah. um, you know no, no no, no slight to Joe Tapel and Peter Mel and all those. They weren't, they weren't, uh, by the way, they were not the, the MCs or the. That's the, true. Yeah. Back then. You had a much looser, time, yeah. looser format back then. 
no, uh, no, I remember. no. Yeah, I mean, the guys today are, are really knowledgeable and, and really good. But what he said what he loves to do is to mute the screen and then open up another window and watch all the commentary, the live commentary of people <laughs> watching it and see you know, the feedback on that wave and all this stuff. He said, that's really, really fascinating. And it is also like what he's written before, not in this particular joint, but what he's written about watching live stream surf competitions is that it's actually kind of the purest type of surf video content you can watch um, because it's spontaneous. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's not edited so that you get, you know, all the best waves. If you watch a heat, you might see someone not get a wave and then the last second get a wave and it's, it's or get attacked really by fun. a shark. Right. I mean, gosh, <laughs> I didn't watch. I watched Mick Fanning's heat live. You saw it live. I saw yeah. it on, I watched it on tape trying to imagine what it was like to watch live. What were you thinking when you saw that? I was like, oh, that was, oh, oh shit, he's getting attacked by a shark. <laughs> oh my God. And then the, you know, everything happened really quickly. And you hear Joe Turpel being like, oh, got something going on out there. And you're like, motherfucker, guy just got hit by a shark and you're calm <laughs> as a cucumber here. <laughs> How are you not freaking out? <laughs> uh, he's, he's someone you'd like to have with you in a stressful situation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, what's your thought? Do you, do you, because I mean, you've had so, you've watched more surf videos and films and movies than ever. Do you, do you enjoy watching a live surf contests? Yes, I, I really do. I, I, the tension is interesting. You know, I love the tension. I like, I like the tactics. I, I actually enjoy seeing some strategy. I think that's fascinating. Um, the, the, there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. And I think that, I love it. I mean, I, I mean, dude, we fantasize about watching live surfing as kids. You know, we had to stay up till 12 in the morning uh, to watch hot summer nights just to, you know, and it would always be it's disappointing when you, old contest. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'd be like, Oh, it's going to be on. And then you're like, Oh, they're just doing BMX and something else, you know, or fucking jet ski racing. Oh, that was, you had to sit through an hour of jet ski racing to wait for fucking, you know, one of the contests to go on. So to me, this is like amazing. I think it's great. And I think it's really fun. I wish it were more interactive watching it. I wish there was, there's, con, there, the commenting is kind of there, but I wish there was just more. I wish there was more interaction with the, the, the announcers with people online. I wish there was more going on, which they were doing at one point, the ASP. I remember Quicksilver Pro, you had like, guys like Shmoo reading off comments, you know, from people and responding to them. And it wasn't like a veneer or like just trying to keep it professional. They were surf, you know, so they responded surfy. And I thought yeah, that yeah. was really cool. So, um, but in terms of this contest being on, I don't think it should be on this list. You know, they should at be all. on the list. Yeah, it's not as watershed a moment he is. As no, the, the one for me would maybe be the Pipe Masters 2000. When Perfect Pipe, Rob Machado, Mick Lowe, I was in the new school computer library watching it in pixelated form, watching Rob Machado drop into what I looked like Perfect Pipe, but you could barely tell because it was so pixelated. Oh, because was like, that was one of the first. Actually, that was no, one of the first for me. Although, for me. Although, yeah. wasn't, was the first one 
Was the first one the the, the Java Quicksilver Java Pro? No, 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 that was not filmed live. That was never li- streamed live. It was only just made into a movie, and, you know, video and packaged. It was not streamed live. There was no the internet didn't have the infrastructure to do that. I'm when pre- was when was the Sydney Olympics? When was that? Two thousand. Yeah, and then they said that they used that setup and they brought it to G-Land. Yeah, after 2000. Yeah. But not Anyway, during. okay, yeah. let's move yeah. on to the it next one. It shouldn't be on there, Matt. Okay. It shouldn't be on there. There are plenty of other moments. I would take that one off. Um, oh, my God, surf- we've only done three so far. Yeah, Jesus. but we're well, like Bear with us, later. everyone. Okay. Surf's Up <laughs> Premiere. Uh, you agree with this? Um, I agree that it was... I agree that it was probably the first good surfing fiction movie. Having said that, okay, I love <laughs> Big Wednesday. I, just, I love Big Wednesday and I love North Shore, but this was a much better film. <laughs> like this was actually I think if you don't surf and you have no interest in surfing, Big Wednesday and um North Shore like it's they're they're funny and and they're 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 pretty and stuff like that but um and they're interesting if you give it time but but surfs up like just you show it to someone that's a really watchable film with a really tight story great tongue-in-cheek sense of humor um it's interesting like i was saying before to read matt wrote a surfer's journal article in the 90s called rough cut surfing on film yeah i remember that yeah and it, it addresses all the surf videos, um, but also the actual surf movies, you know, movies made about surfing, you know, the stories. And they were saying at that point, you know, there hadn't been an actual quality surf movie like, say, uh, The Natural or Bill Durham was for baseball yeah. or The Hoosers were for basketball. Um, and why not? You know, it's surfing, you know, like basketball and all that, you know, is it much more interesting? Is it better for a film? And he said, just, no, they just hadn't got good writers yet. And they hadn't got um, a, a good characters yet. If you had, and he said, actually, one of the best surf films uh, was Apocalypse Now. That only has, you know, five, surfing. ten minutes yeah. surf scene. But it was an actual film with a thing. The surfing was on the periphery. It wasn't the main thing. And, uh, yeah. Have you seen Surf's Up? Yeah. It's, you know what it is? It's like, it's a movie that made, it's the best surf movie made by non-surfers basically you know the re- you had to, to in order to make a good surf hollywood movie it needed to be made by a lot of non-surfers or professional who, film writers professional filmmakers you know well it's interesting i mean look uh zalman king is a professional filmmaker but he also had matt george in his ear when he made in god's hands so no and hats off to matt george hats off to um Den- Denny A. Denny Alberg. Denny Alberg. Yeah. And for, don't for forget writing. King. I mean, you know, they're not you yeah. know, professional screenwriter or like, you know, it, that's not their main gig and they still pulled it off. I mean, like, yeah. God, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what they did. But yeah, like whoever wrote Surf's Up, like that's probably their real job. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would, I would challenge Matt on this. And I would say, I don't think, again, based on my definition of biggest Ah, moments, of of echoes and impact, 
Ooh, I like that. That could be a name of a podcast, Echoes and Impact by Tyler <laughs> Brewer. Um, but I think um, Blue Crush would, would replace Surf's Up for me. Not, not the best surf film by any stretch. Awful, awful dialogue, awful whole bunch of stuff. Uh, totally off on, you know, just someone going right, going left. You know, there, there's a lot of problems with it. But that movie probably had more impact than Blue Crush. It probably spurred more Surf's people. Up. Yeah, I mean, Surf's Up. Yeah, sorry. Blue Crush had more impact than Surf's Up in terms of spurring people to want to surf or want to learn to surf. I think that movie helped um, push a lot more potentially. And this is, I'm coming from a male perspective here. So I'm clearly not the person to really speak totally to this. But I feel like I noticed more female surfing after that. Than, than before. And I think that movie had an impact. And I've talked to a number of people who've all said that that movie had a bit of an impact on, on them or helped motivate them. And a lot, for a lot of people, it's very nostalgic now, actually. And they look at it like we look at North Shore, maybe, or Big Wednesday. So I personally would have put Blue Crush in there in terms of greatest impact, but a uh, great movie, no less. Got cameos think, from- if if sir, if- um if Blue Crush was the movie that yeah. Matt had chosen, would you consider that worthy of the list, though? Depends on how he defines biggest surf moments and what he, you know, if, if he's going by my definition of echoes and effects and impact on culture, yes, I would totally agree with that. I wouldn't be, I'm not being contrarian for contrarian sake. I firmly believe Blue Crush had a huge impact on surf culture more than a lot of people realize. Did it get more, do you think it got more women into surfing than uh, anything else? I think it did. I personally think it did. I think it's super important to see people doing it in order to, to, motiv- to make you feel comfortable trying it. Mm. I, think, I really do think that is a very important thing. We need to see ourselves up there in order to think that we can do that. And um, there wasn't a lot, there weren't any female surf movies. You had the original Blue Crush by Bill Ballard that came out, but these were surf movies, like proper surf videos, not a Hollywood film to appeal to the masses. And Blue Crush totally appealed to the masses. It was, you know, I don't know if you remember, it was such a huge hit. Yeah. Like, Although it, it wasn't actually Kate Bosworth surfing. No, it was Noah Johnson. Yes. He's really <laughs> wearing a wig. And a bikini, and and it's kind of fucked up. I, I know mean, there were just so many great women surfers. At they the totally time. could have done it with female surfer, and I I mean I don't know I wasn't there when they were filming it, but it definitely feels like we've come a long way. I think since two thousand when that. Do you think Noah yeah. Johnson though opened up doors for other types of surfers? Hey, you know it's very possible. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't speak to that personally, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something uh, I think we could do. Speaking of women. Yes. The next um, thing. I'm not bringing up one. just some random. Let's go to the next. Let's go yes, to let's number, go. Five. number five. I'm copying uh, Ain't That Swell. I love their, like, finger buns, and they do the whole countdown and echo. I wish I could do that. Um, Steph Gilmore wins first world title which I would totally 
hands down agree is one of the most important uh, moments in surfing history in general, I think. Now, but, now hang on a sec. In, in the actual surf joint, yeah, I'm not quite... He doesn't say why it's a mega moment. Well, why don't we ask Matt why that is? Because Matt is joining us by surprise on Zoom. Matt Warshaw has just entered the building. Jamie, you are surprised. Now look at your face. You're just so excited. Matt, are you there? Can you see me? We can hear you, but not see you. (laughs) I can see you guys. Oh, hold on. How do I get on here? Here, Hit the video thing. (laughs) There we go. Oh, my God. I, I have to say, I feel like... I'm watching a Billabong movie in the 80s right now. <laughs> Surf in the summer, coming alive. You know, the, um, the one after Surf in the summer was Filthy Habits, right? One of my faves. And so, it has no um, narration. The reason, the reason Filthy Habits doesn't have any narration was because Surf in the summer, when I heard it, <clears throat> was so horrifying to me. And I, I thought I sounded so dumb that I talked Hurley into letting me do the next one with no narration, you know, cause, and, and he, he liked it. I remember I was once at a, um, at a dinner on the North shore, probably yes. about 94. I, when did Kelly win his like third title around there? Somehow uh, I got in, It was the second world. Fit, or, five somehow I got invited out to the dinner at the in Halaiva somewhere. And, I was just like the old guy sitting at one end of the table and everyone's sort of all those young, all those momentum generation guys were doing their thing. And, and at one point, and I hadn't met any of them. I'd been kind of off the thing, off the scene for a while. At one point, Ross Williams turns to me and he goes, you did the narration into, into sort of in the summer. You know, I thought I'd escaped it. And, but, and then like all of a sudden, all the heads swivel to me and they'd all go, yeah, I thought I knew that voice, you know, so. Aki can make it happen. When Aki's feeling it, Aki can make it happen. <laughs> it's like the best. <laughs> and, it, and it's kind of sexualized in some way, too. <laughs> I mean, but, but it's funny because I had a moment like that whilst watching Surf into Summer. I was watching Surf into Summer. I was like, oh, my God, it's the guy from Tales of the Seven Seas. <laughs> that was Mike Perry, wasn't it? Um, author, uh, the editor of Surfing. The voices sound a little, they're very baritone you know? You might have, yeah, yeah. So well, are, uh, how long have you guys been talking? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we, <I'm, laughs> I feel like I'm dropping in kind of like, nah. like you guys are all, you guys have been playing hoops for about an hour and I'm showing up and I'm still all stiff and I've got my street shoes on and I'm not ready. I just got to jump in and I'm about halfway yeah. done with my whiskey, and I finished my beer, nice. so I'm feeling right. pretty good right now. All right. I think um, the, the hoops, yeah, like uh, coming into, walking into a game of hoops is, uh, is more uh, G-rated than the, the analogy I made before. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm I think we've edited down. that one out already. I'm down for whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, I was, my. I was thinking, I was thinking when I, I was thinking Margot Robbie was joining? Logging in. What's that? No. <laughs> inside joke <laughs> i was thinking like if i had planned this better i um i would have come up with some kind of like history with us like i i could have said a uh, tyler man it's been 
been so long since we backpacked through Europe after college and like I was gonna go like oh man Jamie, you're really like, aging me like and like and like Jamie I really owe you for letting me uh, crash at your place after my third divorce kind of thing like I was gonna make all this shit up you know and but actually I've only met Tyler you and I have met once yeah and then Jamie this is our introduction right or, uh, yeah. or yeah Jamie this is our introduction so oh lovely to meet you yeah yeah <laughs> so we were just starting uh Steph Gilmore wins world title first world title yep but before we dive into it, I want to know what were what was your criteria here for biggest <laughs> surf moments oh oh for the biggest surf moments yeah we're talking um, about biggest surf moments like what was your criteria I suppose, it, and it's going to sound really soft, I think, but I, I tend to think about what made, what, what had the biggest ripple effect. Like, I mean, it's, it's pretty random, right? But it's like, if you drop the thing I'm talking about, you know, how much effect did it have? How far did it go? And how, how much did it cause us? How many people sort of sat up and went and caught, you know, caught people's attention? I, how long ago was that joint? Like a few. Oh, that was uh, the that was right before the beginning of uh, that was that was the end of 2019. Of, of, of course, right. So what is that? Eight or nine months ago? I can't remember shit. So good. I tend to not remember. I I'm super deep into whatever I'm doing, like right now, right today. So I'm doing a riff right now on Diana Ross and uh, my imagined love affair between Diana Ross and Mike Doyle, which you'll read about later. Like, that's <laughs> like yours and Margot Robbie's, Jamie. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was, I was just writing this sentence for the joint where it was like, I was imagining um, Diana Ross being Mike Doyle's tandem partner because, you know, she was so yes. tiny. And then I thought, but, you know, if you go a little further, I think Doyle had enough sense of humor to do this. Like, what if instead of like him twirling her overhead, he just got on the nose of the board and hung 10 with his front hands while on all fours and she was behind him like with a leather him. I don't want to see in a tandem event, right? Like Mike, Mike would have done that. I think so. Yeah, um, I don't know I, what my criteria was. I, I can't remember, but I looked at that list not too long ago and I thought it was, I, I actually thought it was okay, but uh, it's, a great, it's think, a great list. I think had what you described just happened, that would definitely top the list. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'd be a bit nervous to see what the ripple effect of that would be. <laughs> Bondage well, and surfing. Uh, what's <laughs> two that? Great ta Bondage and surfing. Two great tastes that taste weird together. <laughs> that um, maybe, maybe the leash would have come out a bit earlier. I know. Uh, <laughs> or maybe we'd have better leashes. Well done. <laughs> or better wetsuits. Oh, more stylish wetsuits. <laughs> better surf wax, you know, all sorts of things. <laughs> All right, I'm, I was going to go to a place. I'm not going there. <laughs> well, so that, that brings us to the next one. So we were just about, we've basically been going through each one, one at a time and discussing whether we thought it was worthy of the list. Um, so far, I think it was been 50-50, I think. Um, but yeah. we, we, we're coming up to Steph Gilmore winning the first world title. And I'm reading it and I'm curious, why was that... A, a, a big event it doesn't do quite think? say it yeah. in, in this paragraph here Shit, can you read back read back what i wrote i can't remember what did it say um so it said steph gilmore wins first world title uh, 2007 
Among world surfing champions, Steph is the great unifier. Pick your criteria. That's right. That's right. But there, oh, so it's because she was the great unifier. It was right. It was this. I remember when Steph won that title that there wasn't anybody that didn't think she was the, you know, the right person for the right title. And, you know, everybody seemed happy with that result in a way that I hadn't seen or, or, or seen for quite some time. Didn't that, is that the list? Is that the one that leads me to yeah. my, our sub That leads into your sub list, which we'll right. get into. <laughs> so that's why I put about Steph that I, I don't think you would have found a person in all of serfdom that, that didn't feel like that she deserved that title and that, and that she, that, you know, that she was a fantastic and world, world champion. I guess I, I also agree. I was just wondering, um, why was that a watershed moment type of thing like the other ones were? Oh man, you know, it's a lot of things, Jamie, with all this. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to poke at it too hard, I, it'll just it sort burst. of come down like a sand. Um, the, the, the joint, you know, um, gets written. I'm in the middle of one right now. You know, I come in, I come in here in an afternoon and I usually don't know where it's going to go. I have a couple of things on a whiteboard, which this is today's whiteboard, but it, I've already erased the stuff off of it. Do you want to spoil um, it for us, huh? Right. So, so <laughs> I have a few things on a whiteboard, but I, I usually, I often will ignore them. So I don't know, you know, and, and then I, I write it over in like a hot two or three hours. Then I had to make all the little graphics that go on it and stuff. But, um, and then, like I say, it kind of goes out of my head pretty quickly because tomorrow I'm off to whatever the next thing is. So, um, no, And that's why it is so fun to read. And interestingly, yeah. this is actually take two of tonight's podcast because the first take, we were reading way too much from the script and I like the whiteboard. And I think um, <laughs> next week when I go back to school, I might take one home from class. And uh, that's it's, what we should probably use. It's funny. I had this other whiteboard because you guys... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> For those who aren't able to watch this, it's an extremely, it's a much bigger whiteboard that is extremely detailed. But this, that whiteboard is so, like almost. It's, it's so big. I, I actually have two of those. So I bought two of these whiteboards. This oh is a my two. gosh. So I've got two whiteboards and they, they ended up being too big. I tried to use them. So I got this little, my little whiteboard for the Sunday joint and it's perfect. I use it like every day. I put little notes on it for the joint, right? And then every Sunday, you know, at the end of the joint, I kind of erase it and it, it feels like it's out of my system, you know, and I'm back and I'm on to the next. Mm. It's a I'm bit like a wave, a bit like riding a wave. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Bring it riding back. wave. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh... Well, <laughs> but I would agree that Steph should be on this. I am at the top of this list. We define, we discuss what we would define as, you know, our biggest moments. And I was very similar. I'm like, these events have to have ripple effects and, if, right. and have influence over culture. Some of them I disagree with, yeah, but yeah. that's okay. And you know, yeah. we'll get to that. But um, this one, Steph, absolutely on so many levels, not just the unifying, but the fact that she, her reign, this is the start of her reign as like queen of right. not just women surfing, just surfing in general. And I would also argue like, and this, I hope this comes out okay, but it feels like Steph Gilmore made it okay for a lot of misogynistic men in mm. surfing to say she fucking rips and made it okay for them to say it for other people eventually. It like broke a social norm where a lot of guys would hold back 
that miss more and i'm not saying not to me i always i think i always like to uh, to acknowledge that a little bit more you know i'm a little bit more progressive i like to think but you know there were a lot of guys who wouldn't wouldn't acknowledge it and would always talk poorly of women surfing i think steph took women surfing to the next level of legitimacy that you know in in certain surfers eyes and that really opened a lot of doors for it opened the floodgates yeah and now it's just like you i mean shit man you watch the surf ranch pro i much rather watch a woman surf it than a men they're so much more enjoyable to watch surfing that wave give me steph gilmore over over gabe any day at that wave you know yeah, you're, so you're, you're trying to actually direct this back to the ranch because I know that you're a ranch. No! Because <laughs> <laughs> no. I, no. I don't, no. don't want to go just there. Saying, a... I'm just saying. <laughs> right, so I don't want to watch any of them at the surf ranch. What was the wave What was the wave that Steph Gilmore got the perfect tan on? Was it last it, year? Changu, wasn't it? Yeah, it, uh, no, it wasn't Changu. Promise, right, Thomas. yeah. Promise. Yeah. That wave was you know, insane. So, so I don't want to see what she, because I think I put this in the joint a while back, like that amazing, there's this money shot of Steph riding um, in the tube at Surf Ranch with her fingers are all sort of up in the lip. Yes. She's got the little be the beaming look on her face and all that. And it's a great moment. It's a, it's a beautiful picture, but it, I use that moment as, as a way to sort of take down the whole point of the ranch with the Surf Ranch, which was like, you know, that ought to be a really special singular moment and i was saying like you know 10 waves in a row she could do that right what what really got all up in me in me in my in my heart and soul was that wave at karamas when i think check me on this but did she came off and she did like was that the one where she did like a big top turn and then just did this huge massive like kickstall and got tubed and sort of came out and did like so she huge had to um, she had to improvise that whole wave right mm, yeah and she did it so well and she could stay out in the water at Karamas for 17 more days and not ride a wave like that. And that's what I admire. Not the only thing, but that's one of the things I love about her. She, you know, she's a great, uh, she responds really well to, to, especially when she's excited and, and the waves are good. So um, Snapper or Hanaloa or, or, or Karamas, you know, when, when she's really feeling it, she's a beautiful and, and very, um, uh, spontaneous surfer and that's what I you know I love seeing that well I would I would say Steph in, in my eyes is like a Jedi master in surfing yeah. the force is strong with her and it's it like is. there's this lineage of like her Curran Slater yeah. um, even McFanning like they can ride any board too mm. and, and mostly well take Slater off that list but they the rest could ride almost any board and make it look good and they right. could just jump on anything and just make it look good. Slater on a twin fin looks awful, by the way. Fish, proper fish. What movie, um, <laughs> what, what movie did he write a table in? Oh, that was uh, Fair Bits. That was the um, Taj Burrow movie <laughs> that was uh, done by the Malloy bro. Mal right. not, not Chris Malloy, but right. Emmett Malloy and all right, those right. guys. Yes, you're right, you're right. So um, we're going here though, but there's a sub list because in your joint, you then make this Really nice sub list where, uh, let, me, let me read it off real quick. Among World Surfing Champions, Steph is a great unifier. Pick your criteria, but there are actually only a handful of title holders who can lay claim to being undisputed. Surfers whose heads fit snugly and comfortably 
beneath the crown. We're in the middle of the list here, but I have made another list, just like John Cusack in High Fidelity, a champion's ranked by undisputedness. So yeah, this is, like the, this is like the type of conversation you're having on a long drive or if you're sitting around with a split like this is, <laughs> is so, that, you can argue this yeah. it's so great you're just though. starting the sub list right now right so we're yeah. just getting into the sub we're list just right. getting into sub list so number one on your sub list of undisputed world champs ranking undisputedness top of the list top of the list Smelly Wait, do you want to skate. go down from 10 and work out? Oh, right. Jesus, Jamie. Okay. No, 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 because the top ones, the, it's, it's top actually ones more fun. To, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Either way. Flip Number a one, Kelly Slater. Number two, Mark Richards. Number three, Tom Curran. Number four, Steph Gilmore. Number five, Nat Young. Number six, Margo Oberg. Number seven, Tom Carroll. Number eight, Lisa Anderson. Number nine, but it says 19 next to it on your website. You might have a typo Uh-oh. you need to fix there. Rolf Arness. And number 10, Lane Beachley. Now, I only have maybe two people on this list I would remove from it. Oh, and let's see if we can guess who those are. But you also, well, I'm sure you also Matt have ones it. that you think I missed, right? Of course, I would replace. Right, right. There's right. two people on the list, maybe one to two people on this list I would replace. Um, one, first. Okay, the first one, Rolf Arnes. While I have mad respect for him, and I think he's a very important surfer in U.S. surf history, I would say Frida Zamba over him. I would put Frida Zamba in that list. I don't think Rolf Arnes should be in that list. I think there are other worthy. And number, number two, how can you forget AI, Andy Irons, everyone? Even though Slater was there challenging him, he was fucking dominating. <clears throat> Okay. Can, Here we I, go. Are you, are you, That's right. I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. Bring it. Bring it. So, so Rolf, Rolf Arnest, 1970 world title holder, who won the title at age 18 and really just kind of vanished. So, um, and that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole sad saga. We'll talk about it some other time, but, uh, but the, re- the reason I put him on the list is, is that every heavy hitter was, uh, at that contest bells. Then they moved it to Johanna. And everyone there that I've talked to and people that I've read about um, said the contest was a shit show, that the waves were bad, the organization was no good, the politics were, everything about it was just uh, pretty skewed and just, it wasn't, it didn't work, it didn't hang together, except for the fact that Rolf won in really good surf on like the last, you know, the last four heats of the whole event, they moved to, jo- to Johan and the surf was really good. And Rolf just ran the field. He ran the field even before when the surf wasn't good. He won every heat he was in. He had the best board. He had the best attack. And uh, Wayne Lynch and Corky Carroll and Matt Young and everyone I've talked to said, Rolf was the best guy. He deserved the win. And there was nobody that didn't think he, he won it. So I guess that's what I like when I talk about like a unanimous thing like you know any other title we can think of apart from maybe some of kelly's and mark's um somebody will say oh but so and so surf better you know that year or something and nobody said that about rolf yeah i don't know and it was, was one... surfing better than frida zamba circa 1986 okay so in other words you're not so you're, so you're not gonna do so you now so in other words that one um we, we've moved on from rolf right no no i'm saying so, i would replace rolf with frida i think so she's more deserving rolf. than rolf you well, might so, put Rolf at number 11. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a spot, but top 10, I think there so, are other people I would place ahead of him. So here's the, so Frida, I agree. I, I, my fa- one of now my favorite- even now she could be on tour right now even no no she so one of the you know, there's, there's a lot i love about frida but one of the things i love the most was uh i don't know how many years after she kind of retired maybe it was three or four but she came back west one year and won the op pro again like yep. did it going away like she beat lisa and everybody yeah. and i was it was one of those one of the la- it was definitely the last time i ever sat on a Leecher at Huntington to watch a surf contest or lucky um, you. she <laughs> was um the the best she and I don't know if she was I don't even think she was on tour that year she just surfed a couple contests she was better than all of them more confident more relaxed and I thought to myself gosh she should be back on tour she could win three or four more titles if you if she wanted to but um every year that Frida won and she deserved all those four titles every year she won there was somebody else that was in the conversation about like could have Pam been Burridge. started with Pam Burridge and then it was Wendy Botha who yeah. they kind of traded off for a bit. And there were a couple of others um, in, especially in big surf because in big waves at that point, Jody Cooper. And even still at that point, Margot Oberg was still really yeah. good at sunset, you know? Uh, so um, Pam or Frida, Frida's up. Frida could be, Frida could be on the list, but, but, I guess I, it was like everybody, every year people said, oh, Pam, this is going to be Pam's year, right? Mm. And then Wendy came on and Wendy just started flat, straight up sort of beating Frida. And they kind of, I don't know, they sort of flipped back and forth the titles for a bit. So, um, you know, my, my, my love and respect for Frida is pretty deep, but, but I just sort of felt like there were other women, there were other surfers, other competitors that other people were sort of talking about at the same time. So if by using that criteria, mm. I mean, this um, happened right before I started surfing, but Mark Richards, wouldn't Shane, Dane, Sean, wouldn't, weren't they all just as, as good as him? No. Um, <laughs> they, no. <laughs> no. They, they weren't nobody. I mean, there was really nobody that was, I don't remember... So Shane, Shane was pretty unbeatable in at the early part of his career in small, fast sort of zippy waves. Mm, but Shane, yeah. who later became a good surfer in, in bigger surf, um, was pretty absent, or 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 he wasn't much on the North Shore. Where um, Mr. from you know that from when he was fifteen or sixteen loved Hawaii, surfed Sunset Great, surfed Waimea, wasn't great at Pipeline, but. Um, Still won a pipe master. <laughs> I know, but if you that's a weird masters when you watch you yeah, watch that. I was watching it the other day in your Vimeo uh playlist. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean they, they used to have I think three rated events at sunset, right? So if you're gonna yeah. have three rated events at sunset and Mark Richards is in the mix, um nobody surfed better than Mark at at, at uh all those years when Mark was reading though, I used to always think that Sean could do it. So Sean was yeah, always yeah. in in my mix. And then and then I guess, uh, Jamie, you're right. Uh, Dane Kialoha was a monster. Because he um, should have won, but then they had made the Hawaiian contests, non-ASP contests that year, and then they stripped him of his ratings for entering. Yeah. And it was 80, one of the years when MR... Yeah, I, 83, I right? I don't know if he was in contention for a title, but I do know that there was that one year it was nuts where he actually won two of the three Triple Crown events and didn't win the Triple Crown. Like... <laughs> 
<laughs> like you think like how is that mathematically possible he actually you know had two that's, first and i think a six crazy. or something and michael ho had a first and two seconds or something well there you go that's next week when the kids come back to school that's gonna be my maths problem on the board there you go so, yeah <laughs> um but how is what do you think about andy irons then? andy that's that for me is simple as that every year andy won and he again no doubt won those three things clear as could be but every year i always thought that not not that i would put an asterisk on there i almost would because kelly wasn't there and kelly he was though not just the last one the third one not I, no he Andy, was there for two of them two of them so later came back in 2002 uh, that's the year actually Andy won the first world title. It was 2002. Slater lost a, a snapper uh, opening event. I remember he had that board and we we're all excited and he just couldn't really get it going. 2003 was the year that he, that um, I believe Slater came and like challenged him finally. And then he had won the in 2004. Slater was on tour, but he didn't do well in 04. And then 05, Andy got second and Slater won. So, so the two thousand, so the second of any title, Andy's titles was the one where they went all out and three. Yeah, no, second they, one was the one that that Andy won pipeline. over Slater. Yeah, and then the one after that wasn't the year Kelly won. That Kelly got like two thousand four. So Andy won, and then so Kelly Slater two thousand five. All right. Um, Although I guess that the argument would be that it was within Slater's reign, and in a way they were like co-champions, kind of. They were like the undisputed two best, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's sort of how I felt that they were, you know, the the Ollie and Frazier of that of that period. So there was nobody um, that Slater always had. There was always a contingent of people that thought Kelly was still the best surfer, and they were all we were all sort of waiting all those years for him to. There's still that contingent, though, Matt. Uh, I know. I, well, I mean, when he got that ten at, at backdoor last year, I mean, I, I I find myself sort of on both sides of that. I'm sometimes in that contingent, sometimes I'm not. But when he got that tan, I kind of jumped back over into that. Into that <laughs> yeah, I, I so. still want him to win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but then, sir, that the rumble at the ranch the other week, I, I flipped all the way back. <laughs> oh, he buckled under pressure. If somebody, put, if somebody put Andy on their undisputed list, I, I wouldn't uh, push back too hard. But I, the reason I left him off was just that um, um, it was always to me in the back of my head that that, that he – that those titles could have been um, at least challenged or at least contended if Kelly had been um, up to speed and fully into it, which he wasn't, you know, so. Yeah. Ex well, sorry, except for the, he so, was, but I mean, he he'd, taken the, he'd taken enough years off that it was almost like he was having to relearn how to, how to, how to surf plus, on the tour. Plus in 2002, he was writing S-Core blanks. So, you know, there was that also is a little, he had a handicap with him, maybe. <laughs> I feel like that you're, you've hit a level of uh, insider surf humor that I, that's, I, I don't even, what? That's the Solomon Blanks. He was riding those Solomon Blanks that year in 2002 that were like hollow with the carbon stringer in them. Remember those things for like a little bit? Solomon made that little foray into but what did it do boards. for his surfing? Tell me, remind, remind me. Oh, it just, it, I just think he was on those boards and they weren't good for his surfing. Oh. Much like I think a lot of the boards he's riding now right. sometimes aren't right. like, 
I think a little length in, in the world, right. like those boards are really poppy and light and it just right. made his surfing right. seem a little bouncy and less, right. um, driving. Damp. Yeah. yeah. Like dam- it lacked dampness. Yeah. You know, which I like, I like like the, just, I don't know when I see certain ter- people doing turns, it's almost like they're, they're on a, a rail that was pre-made for them. And when you're on a board right. that's really poppy and stuff, it just looks too spontaneous and right. too, like all over maybe right that's a personal opinion so that's our list that's our list within lists that you wanted to drop in on and contest (laughs) you guys uh, carry on i'm gonna get back to my sunday i just wanted to uh say hello and um (laughs) we're not worthy we're not worthy (laughs) so um i've got i've got a question here then for as far as a, a list goes if you had to say, um, oh gosh, what's the, uh, oh no, I've lost it. Brain fart. <laughs> I, I'll have to text, I'll have to text it later. But think about how late it is. Jamie, how late is it where you are? It's quite late. It's 10.30 right now. Well, check out the, um, look at our, uh, our podcast time range here. Cause it's, what is it? It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, 5.30 here in New York. And, and it's, it's yeah, what, 3.30 there? 2.30. 2.30. Yeah. 2.30. Look at us. We're pretty cosmopolitan. We're, yeah, it's very, yeah, we're yeah. straddling we're, the, the we're tri-coastal. right now. We're so tri-coastal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, fellas, carry Matt, on. And, um, thank you for joining. All I have to do now is figure out how to, oh, I see a little red leave button right yeah. there. Bye, you guys. All right, see you, Matt. Bye, Matt. Later, Matt. How cool is that? We just Very got cool. dropped in on by Matt Warshaw of our podcast. Yeah, so you know this is the real thing. This is not just um, we're not making a it up. Cowboys. <laughs> we have some cred. I mean, well, we were able to trick Matt into doing doing this. So hey, um, but jumping ahead because I think yes. uh, it could get a little bit. Tedious well, let's just go through, through it real thing. quick. Number well, one, six. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask, yeah. rather than whether this should make the list or not. Yeah. Um, but on the list is Alana Blanchard winning the surfer pole. Twice and she's won it. Right, yes. And that's something, it's really interesting to check out the whole thing there. But at the very end of the paragraph, um, Matt Washer says, you know, should the surfer pole, is it still valid right now? And I guess the, the reason was he asked that question was because um, Alana Blanchard, you know, was, was, was not in the top, you know, 10 surfers. In fact, in, yeah. in the year that she won the surfer pole, she hadn't won any heats on the uh, tour. Um, but she was just the most popular surfer for various reasons. So does, at the, the very last sentence, Matt Washo, you know, Matt finishes up saying, which means the right thing to do is to just pull the plug on the dinosaur of an award. Do you think that the surfer pole is a valid award or not? Is Instagram likes valid? Are Instagram followers valid? Yeah, apparently they are to sponsors, advertisers, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and everyone else who support an industry. So I would say Surfer Poll is valid still because it, it never was about who's the best surfer. It was mm. always about who's the most popular surfer. I mean, shit, JJ Moon made the Surfer Poll and he's a fictitious surfer, you know? Right, right. Like, and Chicken actually won the surfer poll from lost movies, but they 
disqualified because they knew it was a joke and they knew it was kind of rigged. But it it does have it doesn't always correlate to the best surfer. I mean, shit, Curran was winning them when he wasn't winning world titles. Slater was winning them when he wasn't even on tour. Mm. You know, it was so to me. It was never. It was always about popularity. So I think it is still valid. And from an industry perspective, if you work in the surf industry, you're a team manager or someone who um, values this or you're in marketing, surfer pole is still very important. And I'm sure surfers still get paid extra when they win it or score highly in it or make it. There's like bonuses. So, Well, apart from the industry, why do you, do you think it's valid to the people who read the surf magazine? Uh, yeah, because those are the people voting. It's people who are it's the, the subscribers who are voting. So it's not like it's not like industry people are picking the winners. The winners are the people who are voting. So if you say it's not valid, you're saying these people's opinions are not valid, or the people mm. who voted is not valid. You know, and then you start sounding like Donald Trump. Oh yeah, no, oh. and I, well, I mean valid, <laughs> just like an interesting thing to read. Uh, yeah, I do think it's interesting. I think it's fun, and I think look. I think surfing should have an awards night. I think surfing should recognize certain things about its culture and its community. I believe that's a really positive thing sometimes. And I think it's fun. And fuck, man, if you're at that level, like, why not? And it's fun. And I think with her, yeah, she's not the best surfer. Uh, on, she wasn't the best surfer on tour. She didn't have any heat wins that year. Um, but she still is the most popular. Now, if you want to go and be like, well, she's the most popular because of her butt or sexualize her in some way. I don't think that's totally the case either. Like, I think there were a lot of women who did look up to Alana and do look up to her, particularly now in motherhood. I uh, married to Jack Freestone. Like, they, she's pushing natural products and other things that are, are good for you and more like, uh, parenting tips, things like that. It's more wholesome, actually, which is interesting. I don't know. I, yeah, I used to find it. I, yeah, it was interesting how for so many years, and maybe still is, the surfer pole was always about people's performance in pro surfing. But I remember thinking, how come when, when Laird Hamilton and Joel Tudor were at the top of their game, why didn't they make the cut? And then it made me think, is Surfer Magazine not uh, presenting the wider picture well enough, you know? Well, that's, that's a whole other conversation, which I would totally agree with. Um, you know, I have this theory that I've been developing over time um, that we've only viewed surf history and surf culture through the lens of Southern California for 40, 50 plus years, really. And it's only in the last 10 maybe 15 years, we've started to see um, surf culture from other perspectives and other eyes. And there's this movement in history uh, in general, not just surf, but in general history and among, amongst historians to view history, not through the conquerors, but the conquered as well, mm -hmm. to add more context to the history. And I feel like the same with surfing. Many, there are these surf, there are surf histories and cultures around the world but it's only been viewed for 40 something years through Southern California, maybe Sydney or Queensland and Australia, maybe Biarritz in France. And that was really it for a lot of time. And so it, it defines surf history, but there's more history out there, more 
stuff out there, more views. And so, yeah, Surfer Magazine is through one lens. Yeah, so maybe it'd be a really interesting article or a Sunday joint to, to go back and retroactively do all the surfer polls. Um, maybe one every five years or something. And, but do it on a global level and actually do a bit of research and see who were the 10 most profound surfers of that year. And it doesn't have to be professional surfers. Maybe it's shapers. Like it's weird that shapers aren't on there or other aspects of the industry potentially because those people have just as much influence sometimes. Exactly. And it wouldn't have to be a male division and female division. It yeah. could just be the 10 most profound surfers of that year. I agree. So that is a future episode potentially. I like it. So, but that is, you know, so that was number eight on the list. I'm just going to knock off real quick. Number Number six was Andy Ironstein. Um, yes, huge impact. I would say it's a little intertwined with Slater's historic 10th world title in Puerto Rico because there is just so much connected there. Um, but yes, that belongs on there. Number seven was Garrett McNamara enters Guinness Book of Records for biggest wave ever surfed. Um, I remember the surf world's reaction to that. They called it the giant mushburger. But now everyone takes Nazare very seriously and consider it as legitimate as possible of a mm. big wave spot. But it, I think definitely that wave should be on there. Um, and I think it's, it's awesome. And I think it's just a shame that the surf industry shunned Garrett McNamara for so long and were yeah. treated him so poorly, actually. Um, yeah. Wait, no, slow down. I mean, yeah. well, I just yeah, wanted to read those to, off because we don't need to go too depth into those ones. But I mean, back to the, the Andy Irons oh, one. Okay. I mean, the, what's really fascinating is that if you look at surf magazines before that, I, it compared to surf magazines afterwards, it does feel like surf magazines have gone deeper into. Uh, you know, real issues a bit more since then, I feel like, you know, actually talking about, you know, the, the environment, talking about gender equality. I mean, I know that's kind of been happening on in, in um, popular culture anyway, but it, it feels like that if you look at Surfer Magazine anyway, the articles have actually addressed deeper issues. It feels like the, the you know, trying to just pretend everything's hunky-dory is, uh, it was a bit of a growing up experience in a way. I think so. I think Brad Malekian can take a lot of credit for that, actually, because he wrote that article in Outside Magazine, yeah. which really um, exposed a lot of truths that I think a lot of people weren't ready to hear at the time. But it, it definitely changed and, and changed perspective and changed a lot of people who probably were just getting into surf writing at that time and surf journalism who are now um, at the head of the mass boards, you know, and, and editing these magazines. Um, I think there's that, but it's still, the industry hasn't fully come to grips with it. I don't, have you watched Kiss by God, the Andy Irons documentary? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. What did you think? Do you think that was the full truth? Now, I interviewed Steve Jones about it too. You know, mm. they, they were like, this was all truth. And we interviewed people for like 10, 12 hours at a time. And you know, they really feel like this was the full truth. I, I feel like there it is, but I think there's still things missing. Team managers and people who would just supply stuff who didn't come forward. I suppose if you were going to do a full-on 
expose, but that would be a different thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that movie did. It did a great get job. across. I mean, like the stuff people talked about on there is not stuff that you you'd want to talk about, but they did. Um, yeah. It was definitely. And it was it, helpful. Yeah. No, definitely. But I, I, again, like that did have a huge impact on, on for many reasons. And I also think a lot of people cleaned up after that too, that were, were maybe on the similar party program uh, of, of Andy Irons. And I think there, there was that. And also I think, I think there's still longer term effects that we haven't seen from it. And I'm curious that will be particularly like mental health issues. That movie, Kiss right. by God, really highlighted his bipolar, um, bipolar mental issues and his depression and reliance on substance. Right, and now pro surfers talk about mental health a lot, a lot more than they ever did before. It, it's it's great, and I feel it's relieving that people are starting to feel comfortable with expressing that. And so, yeah, this should be up there for sure. Um, then, uh, we, I don't know if you want to dive Gabe. into Garrett, Garrett McNamara, but I think we can go on um, to number nine, Coa Smith Coa ruins, ruins tube riding. Tube riding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the, 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 it's basically about, yeah, the, the GoPro and skeleton Bay, all those, well, not just his video, but all the GoPro videos of getting tubed at skeleton Bay. It's a tricky one because in one way, it's not just surfing skeleton bay we, yeah the point was is that it it made tube riding kind of numb you now everyone knows what it looks like to get this crazy barrel but then everyone now knows what it's like to to uh base jump or to ride a, yeah. a, a mountain bike down a crazy sheer cliff now and it you might as well have shown it and it's a pretty it's pretty fucking awesome to watch those crazy tube rides. And uh... <laughs> I get anxiety watching them. I would, <laughs> I personally would have put, uh, you know, maybe sec Timmy Turn Turner's second thoughts ahead of the Koa Smith tube riding. Cause that, even though it wasn't GoPro, mm. it, it was, it was probably one of the first surf movies since Greeno's crystal Voyager, where you got incredible tube footage that you, 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 you only got in snippets and there you got full pintfuls of tube rides over Penitin, you know, Penitin there, uh, you know, pair, you know, one palm yeah. uh, point that the most sketchy fucking wave ever, like skeleton Bay is sketchy and heavy and I am not downplaying that wave at all. But one palm is over razor sharp fucking reef and you're getting 20 second barrels and you don't know if you're going to make and you just keep going. And the footage from that movie real, real, really gets you on pins and needles because you're like, pull out, pull out. There's boils. Look at the reef head there. You could see that. And that had so much impact. But yes, in terms of numbing surf tubes, yeah, Coe Smith, I don't and know. And also, also the fact that it's now you can, like watching you know second thoughts that the amount of people who have seen that film is probably quite small but yeah um the amount of people who have watched skeleton bay tube rides on youtube like if i bet if i went into my school and said show of hands who's seen like one of these videos like probably you get yeah. a bunch of kids in london putting their hands up <laughs> and it is kind of like 
it's you. I remember Greg Knoll once lamenting how surf magazines back in the 60s and 70s uh, were having pictures of the world's deepest, darkest secrets, you know, like really, you know, like um, exotic islands and stuff like that. And he said, now you can see it in a surf magazine and it kind of takes away the mystery and the mystique. <laughs> and, um, it, and, and that's definitely what uh, YouTube has done. Um, so, it, but it, yeah, I suppose the GoPro footage was a watershed moment probably. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for the VR. I mean, maybe it's out there and I just, because I don't have a VR headset, but I want to mm. see a VR one of Skeleton. That will... That will just fuck you up, I think. I don't know if you ever watched the CJ Hobgood virtual one at Chopu, but it's it's pretty oh. fucking cool. <laughs> well, you, can, you can just turn your phone and look yeah, up. Yeah, you just look up. And... You can see the top of the tube. You can look out. Like, you can pause it and look around in the tube. And that's, that's pretty weird. fucking mind-blowing to me. That, to me, is... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, after after Coe Smith ruins tube riding, number 10, number 10. Gabe Medina Gabe wins, wins first, first world, world title. title. Definitely. Hands yeah. down. No, no debate here. I mean, the great thing now is like, you know, not too long ago, it was okay to be casually uh, racist. Definitely about. xenophobic. Yeah, xenophobic. Sorry. Yeah. Against um, Brazilians. It was just like it was commonplace to say, oh, Brazilians, Brazilians, this, Brazilians, that, in, in surfing and say it is a bad thing. Um, even I am looking at an old surf magazine spread of a, a guy back to a pipeline doing a bottom turn. It says unidentified Brazilian. Now, first of all, if they really are identified, how do you know they're from Brazil? I know. It's like saying an unidentified, uh, whatever other type of person you want to put in there. It's pretty awful, um, but it was just okay. And was it was that okay a US mag in, or Aussie mag? It was Surfer Magazine. Whoa. Um, I mean, 1987, but it, it was just, up until very recently, it was, it was okay to do this. And Surfer's Journal, before Gabriel Medina won his world title, did an article on how Brazil is going to be the you know the country of the future in surfing and, and in other things perhaps. And I know when I moved to England in the early two thousands, Brazilian stuff, anything Brazilian was cool. And I remember like telling people, yeah, and surfing if you're it's Brazilian is like a bad thing. Like what? Like everything, like every all the the clubs were all the DJs were playing Brazilian music. Everyone was taking capoeira classes. It was like, you know, like. Banana way. Banana way. I don't know if you watched that capoeira movie. Oh, no. no. But yeah, <laughs> I think definitely that's got to be a watershed moment. I mean, the Brazilians are amazing. Definitely. And then Adriano right after that. And now mm -hmm. Idolo. And it's. It, and when is Felipe going to win? Felipe going to win, you know? like I don't know, man. Idolo's. Holy crap. Have you watched? any of his Instagram clips, it's like, dude, that guy's next level. It's, yeah. I mean. Well, that's the thing. The guy who hasn't won the world title is world title worthy. I like, know. They've, they've got people on reserve now, you know. It's true. It's true. They've got their own Taj Burrow, you know, like a, a guy who could win the world title but hasn't. It's just, just in case, you know, in the bullpen. Yeah, well, it's partly a dude with Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. 
getting my Paula Creed on. Okay, number number eleven, Kelly's wave. Yeah, I mean, had to steal Adriano's thunder when he won the world title with just the day after, basically launches his wave. But my God, that changed everything. We always looked at the wave garden as cute and kind of neat, but then this just legitimized wave pools. Um, it's still not the best in terms of business decisions, the, the Kelly Slater wave pool, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of lots of things, but it opened the door. Like, no, it's just it, crazy. It was just an amazing experiment to just see what could we, what's possible. Yeah. In a way, like, even though, like, there are a million things you could say to criticize Kelly's wave pool, you know, one, it being so exclusive, one, it only having one wave every few minutes. But in a way, it's like brilliant that they came up with something that wasn't a, a super viable business and just said, screw it, let's just see what we can do True. if we put our money and minds to it. And the fact that they created that wave was just. It's the most perfect wave. I mean, it really is like the perfect wave. Mm. I mean, well, according to Steve Hawk, the perfect wave in terms of mathematics is just a closeout. But what well, we're talking about, perfect surf wave. Sorry, I had to make a reference to an intro of, of Steve Hawk's from yeah. the early 90s. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's crazy. We, we, we created the perfect wave or Slater created the perfect wave. Yeah, so yeah. That's number 11. I would even argue, I think over time, that one will go higher up on the list or will be, I'm not, I don't think Matt rated these in rankings, but that would be, that will be a pivotal point in surf culture and surf history, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. And number, just to, to, to make clear, yeah. no, he rated it in chronological order. Yes, exactly. Number, number 12, 12, 2016, 2016 surfing, surfing becomes, becomes an Olympic, becomes sport. Olympic sport. Yeah, definitely definitely has oh, to make the list you want to read what you wrote here like i think this is really interesting oh gosh what did i write matt warsher claims he's stoked the ioc is coming to us by having a chopu that is very cool that surfing isn't bending to ioc but other way around that chope chopes kicks ass but is chopu representative of the state of the art the most representative wave riding of top pros it's mainly just tube riding oh yes That's yeah yeah yeah, I suppose that's the thing. Like, if if the goal of the Olympics is to put on a great show, yeah, you're right. Chopu is perfect. If you want to decide who is the best surfer and you only have one event to do it in, which wave is going to, like, show the versatility of a, a professional surfer? Yes. So tell us, who did you chose some waves? Yes. Which, which waves? And tell us what why. It- what did I choose? Um, skill-wise, if we're basing it off skill-wise, I said somewhere in the Mentawise, perhaps Macaroni's or like a wave like Balion in, in Bali. What's Balion like? I don't know. Just like wave. this triangular, perfect right-left kind of mm-hmm. wave, super rippable, trestles-y, but warmer water. Um, I just feel like trestles, like that wind fucks it up midday and it becomes sloppy by the end of the day. But... Yeah, I think something more performance-oriented. If you want to find the best surfer, I think you need a wave that has tube and maneuver sections to, to really validate it. Um, if you want pure spectacle, Chopu all the way, <laughs> you know? 
like absolutely otherwise yeah. i think the french beach breaks though i mean in summer it sucks that's the issue french beach breaks would have been perfect in some ways to test the best surfer because you go through such a variety of conditions with the tides and winds and swell that Hossiger could be a great location to, to, you know, if you had swell there, but in July, August, getting swell in Hossiger is kind of, you know, hit or miss. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Although it's kind of like the wave you end up describing is Kelly's wave, you know, a right and a left, that's 2B, high performance and all that. And then it makes the argument for why not have his wave built around the world at all the different Olympic venues. And then it says, oh, because it's a bit boring. And, <laughs> you know, like, well, oh. there's a difference though. Macaronis, all those waves, they're not the same altogether. And two, the waves, you don't know if they're going to come. There creates other tensions yes. there. Whereas Slater's, like I think we've talked about in the past, like Slater's wave pool, the only tension is whether the surfer is going to fall or not. Whereas in the ocean, it's, are they going to get the wave? Are they going to make the wave? Are they going to perform on the wave? Are they going to do the, you know, there's so many more things to keep you excited, particularly in the middle, in that in between in Slater's wave, like there's no excitement. You're just like, just waiting for the fucking plow to set itself up. You know, <laughs> that's it. Whereas in yeah. the ocean, it's like tactics and paddling around someone. There's more, there's more oh, going on. Totally, totally, yeah. Yeah. So but that's um, not the wave I chose. Though. What did you choose? Well, I'd see if, I, I, the wave I choose, see if maybe you can work it out. Yeah. Was a wave that I thought is, the, I mean, the waves you chose, yeah, to show performance would be amazing, but there's, they're not big waves at all, you know? So, I thought, right, it's got to be a wave that can actually show that someone knows how to handle a bit of size, um, but could do performance, but also get tubed. Um, and, you know, then there's only one wave, which is just a super versatile. Sunset? Yeah. 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 I mean, sunset is the be all end all in terms of testing all your abilities. Your yeah. skill. Absolutely. There's everything there. Except if you're a goofy foot, you're all on your backhand. Unfortunately, that's yeah. the one thing. Yeah. But then again, Aki at sunset's pretty fucking beautiful. Yeah. Tom Carroll at sunset. I would rate, actually, I would have to say Tom Carroll surfing at sunset, particularly 1988 World Cup that he won. I don't think a goofy footer has ever repeated such a performance since. There's just, they just don't look the same. It just, Tom Carroll on like, you know, who's only five foot nothing on like a seven, six gun just looks amazing. Whereas one of the Hobgoods who I love and I think surf great, but their boards just look like they were going to be blown off the back on the wave, even though they ripped and they won like Damien, I think it was Damien who won sunset or was it sun CJ? Shit. Oh man. Sorry, people. One of them. <laughs> But they look good on there, but it's not the same. It's just yeah. Tom Carroll under the lip, doing the fucking cutback under the lip onto the foam ball, like just crazy shit, man. So sunset, totally. Sunset. All right. Number 13, Number 13 final one on the list. On the list. WSL, WSL coughs up equal pay, equal for, pay surfing. for surfing. Yes. 100% yes. And I think um, if you were to rank these in terms of importance, this would be in the top. 
like one of the top three at least. I think yeah, this is going to have ripple effects for a long time if yeah, the WSL can keep afloat. Yeah, and this, this, like I said, you know, this actually makes me proud to be a surfer. You know, for all the laments of surfing changing, this, this is a change for the better. And I mean, I, is it true? I think WSL said that they were one of the first sports to ever do this. Absolutely, absolutely. They really were. They were one of the first to just do that. One of the first companies in general <laughs> to say that. Um, I think it's awesome. And I'm really, I'm really excited actually for the future and particularly with women surfing. I think, I think given enough time and, and energy and resources, I think eventually we won't need a men's and women's surfing tour potentially. Well, that would be, that's such an interesting topic to talk about. Totally. I know Nat Young Some don't want to have to compete too. I know they don't want it. They want it to be their, some people want, some women particularly I've talked to who surf want it to be their own. Why should it be this? Yeah. But I get that too. But I just think skill level wise, it's the level will be the same almost. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, are there any other sports where men and women compete against each other? Tennis? No, they don't. I mean, they well, do once in a they, while. Uh, but I mean, a... you had that. But no, there's um, not, to my knowledge, I'm not as aware. Um, yeah, maybe they could have, yeah, like mixed. Just, I mean, it'd be interesting. But yeah, watching, I mean, well, back to the undisputedness. I was watching Carissa Moore, some videos of her, and oh my God, she's she's unbelievable. And And then watching that, Oh, I forgot with the really young girl uh, who was the, she was surfing in Waco. Yeah, did the three sixty air airs? I mean, that's it's interesting. I was reading Sierra Kerr, in, Josh Kerr's in, daughter. Holy yeah, God. I was reading an interview with um, Kim Merrick that was done back in the eighties, and they said, you know, how come you don't see many women getting two brides? And I remember as a kid that there weren't many photos of women getting two brides, and at the time it just seemed like well. Maybe it's not possible, which seems crazy. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was like, how come you don't see footage of women doing aerials? And now, the, you know, this little girl, and well, and the footage of Carissa Moore doing aerials is unbelievable. You know, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. I have, well, I have this theory. Like uh, right now, women make up in on the global scale of surf population i think the last survey that was done it was some survey it was like they make up around 20 or 30 percent of surfing right and that's now imagine 20 30 years ago you probably made up even a smaller portion of that oh, so yeah, yeah the talent pool is so much more limited and then so the money is not flowing to them so how are they expected to get as good as the guys if they don't have the same opportunities and the same talent pool access. And yeah, I like would say- before, and seeing, seeing And seeing times. it, exactly. And I think that's why I think like this equal pay particularly, and the, the way the WSL promotes and markets the, the female surfers, I think is just so good. It's so good. And, and so to me, I think 10, 20 years down the road, this, I mean, maybe even sooner. I don't even know, to be honest, but I think it's just not going to be, I don't, I mean, it's becoming less and less of an issue, of a topic, but I think it'll just be like, yeah, she can compete against him. Why not? I mean, Carissa Moore did it in Baja 
took out a bunch of guys. Lisa Anderson did it in, in 91 in France. So, I mean, I would like to see more actually women compete in men's too, because I think that would help maybe help raise their level of competition too, potentially. Um, but I do think like that's, it's just the access. It all comes down to access to me, I think, and having the, the, the opportunities presented to you. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we got through the top 13, but what would you add to this list, Jamie? Would you add any? Yeah. I mean, it's one, rounded really, out to top 16, let's say. Yeah. I would add one thing. To What's it. that? And it's paddling, surfing at Jaws and other big waves, you know? Ooh, yes. I mean, that's Shane Dorian's wave, maybe that drop. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's massive. Like going back in, you know, obviously in the late nineties and early two thousands, they just thought, you know, that there was a limit to how big a wave you could ride on paddling and you had to tow after that. Um, but then in the, in surfers journal, right when they were uh, making ghost trees off limits, yeah, Steve Pesman wrote, you know, now that they're making it off limits to tow in surfing, but you could still paddle there. he said, maybe now, We've, with toe surfing, we've learned to work together as a team. We've learned to put tons of energy mm. into developing something. What if we took that energy and put it into paddle surfing? Do you think we could achieve stuff? And then once people started paddling Jaws, it was still, there's still some naysayers. You know, even um, both Jerry Lopez and Laird, Laird Hamilton were quoted as saying, you know, it's not, you, you can paddle. You're wasting the, the wave, they would say. Well, it was, it was a very, it, it, right, it was a very inefficient way to do it. And you, you, you'd end up wiping out a lot. It might be a thrill, but you're, you're not performing. But if you watch, you know, if you watch them I'll now, be later. it's, it's <laughs> right. You, you watch them and it, it looks just kind of like what toe and surfing used to look like. Although now the toe and surfing that people like you just yeah. mentioned are doing is un, is crazy now. So um, I think that was a really big one. I, I just, I think it looks like the end of the, the last surf movie, the cartoon with the giant wave, you know, yeah, like yeah. surfing has become that. Like it's crazy. And the towing stuff, like, not the, the towing stuff nuts. Like Kai Lenny towing in at Nazare doing 360 chop hop airs, which is like a 10 foot air, by the way, on the wave that big is <laughs> crazy. And I would say toe-in surfing is like it's, it's allowing them to see how far they can push the boundaries and then they take that into their paddling and then they can try to reach. They know what the feeling and look is like because of the toe-in, but now they're paddling and they can know where to go and they can read the wave better and they're noticing things and learning about how to handle that power and speed. So I... I, I, I I don't discount toe and surfing. I think it's a very important partner to paddle surfing. And also, um, it's it's kind of like uh, wave pool surfing in that toe and surfing and wave pool surfing makes you appreciate what you have when you do it more um, more basically. Totally. Like like all of these big wave surfers who went back to paddle and surfing, yeah, you know, it's almost like they hadn't realized how awesome paddle and surfing was. Yeah. And it's the same way as you go to a wave pool. It's great. You can do a lot. And it's, it's, a, it's a valid thing. And there's a lot of benefits to it. But then you go back to regular surfing the ocean. You're like, oh, my God, I forgot how, like, 
<laughs> the other day I went in the ocean for the first time since surfing in the wave pool a couple of times. And what I, the first thing I noticed was like the salt and how great it was. And when I drove home from the beach, having the cr salt crust on my skin, it was like, oh, I missed that from when I went surfing in the wave pool. And sometimes, yeah, so that's the toe in surfing is probably uh, been a good thing in the long run. Yeah, I would. That's your I, choice. I would add 2006 birth of the wave storm. <laughs> that is a consequential event. Wave storms have transformed surfing. Um, it's opened it up to so many people, the affordability of it. Uh, it's put a lot of people who shouldn't be out there sometimes. Uh, and it also paved the way for catch surf and other pro surfers to ride soft tops also. So to me, Wavestorm, the, the, the invention of Wavestorm, it, it, which were made by two, two people, former employees of Maury Boogie, believe it or not. And I think that to me is one of the most consequential, most impactful uh, events in the last 20 years. I think you should probably say what it is, because I know here in England, oh. if you go down to the beach, no one so, I would know what so a wave wave storm So Wavestorms are these foam, cheap, affordable foam surfboards that you could buy for like a hundred bucks at Costco. And so you can buy them in a giant warehouse store, club store, and you can buy them a lot of places. They're just super affordable and very user-friendly, beautifully designed. I mean, not the colors and graphics, but the, the shape and everything. It's like, fuck, they did it better than BZ. They did it better than anyone else that was in Doyle or anyone else doing foam boards for some reason. And it was lighter weight. It was easier to carry. It was, it, was it was stiffer, more, more affordable. It just made it, it just was the accessibility. And then it was also in fucking Costco, which I think changed a lot of um, how people get in, introduced to surfing. Um, you don't have to go to a Vibe surf shop anymore. You could just go into Costco and buy it. You know, so those are, those are things I think yeah, Wavestorm has totally changed surfing and introduced so many people, so many great people to surfing too. So it's, it's like anything, you know, uh, every light casts a shadow, right? Mm -hmm. So um, now I just, I have to mention one thing from the last Sunday joint real quickly, share a little fun tidbit about myself to embarrass myself for this episode. But um, can we talk briefly about the St. Christopher St. Christopher medallions mentioned in the last Sunday joint. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember those? Oh, yes, I do. So for those listeners who aren't uh, familiar uh, and haven't read the Sunday joint from last week, which is, uh, God, what are we, eight? It's uh, some point, August 17th or 16th, something like that. But anyway, this necklace was like a surfer's cross kind of thing. It would like helped, you know, St. Christopher to help protect you in the water and all this stuff. And they marketed it. So I had this really funny story. Like I, I remember I had one. I was quite proud to be a surfer in sixth grade. I don't know about you, Jay. And I know, well, I know how you got it as well. Yeah, you gave it to me. I yeah, because I got it from grandma uh, two years earlier. I'd ordered it, had her order it from the surfer holiday gift, gift guide. guide. Yes. And then, uh, then I, I re-gifted it to you. <laughs> you re-gifted? <laughs> well, I didn't what have money heck? at the time. I didn't have money. So True. I, 
I guess it's better than a label maker being regifted a label maker <laughs> like Seinfeld, Tim Watney. <laughs> but um, so I used to have one and I, I don't know about you, but at, at 12, 12 years old, sixth grade, and this was 1990, everyone was in Z, Z Cavaricis and turtlenecks and everyone had either a cross necklace or a Hebrew one. Well, that's because we lived in Long Island. So we, we grew up around that. Everyone had like some necklace that was on display. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not religious. I don't really follow it. I'm Jewish. I could get away with it, but I'm not really. And I was more proud about being a surfer. So I just was like, well, this is my religion. This is why I'm going to proudly show off. Hey, everyone, look at my necklace. So I would be wearing... You know, I would be wearing, you know, my outfit was like a white turtleneck, <laughs> you know, tucked in with my fake Z Cavaricis because I never got them because they were too expensive. Cut ankle cuffs folded tight and my St. Christopher medallion just hanging over the, the, the neck cuff of the turtleneck <laughs> down. <laughs> I remember being like, what is that? And I'm like, they're like, are you a Christian? I'm like, no, I'm Jewish. And like, well, why are you wearing that St. Christopher medallion? I'm like, surf, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I was quite, quite tickled when Matt had posted one of those. It oh, brought yeah, me back. <laughs> so we're now going to finish out the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us. Um, but it's time. We're going to finish out the show with um, it's time for it's Stump, time for Stump, Stump my, bro, my Bro, where we each to ask each other one surf question from the EOS and the Sunday joint, and we try to stump each other. And if we don't, we got to do a shot. Originally, we were going to do a lot of these questions, but we realized it might be a little much and we might be a little too hammered. So um, here we go. Stump my bro. Womp, 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 womp. There's going to be music and stuff in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, oh, wait, I've, I've started on my shot. I need to. No, wait. hold on. All right, so you want to go first because you're older. Uh, no, I want to hear what you have for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this is a long one here. Okay. Oh my god. This East Coast former pro surfer wrote a scathing article for Surfer Magazine in 1977, covering the Florida Pro at Sebastian Inlet. He was also entered in the contest and was slated to surf man on man against against Peter Townen, but was told by contest owner Gunnar Griffin that the event was off for the day. 40 miles down the coast, however, Dick Catree had in fact called it on. This surfer found out, raced south, but it was too late and missed the heat. He immediately filed a protest. Contest officials agreed to reschedule the heat, then PT, claiming a rule infraction of some kind, managed to reverse the, the, official, the official decision and had the heat unscheduled. The surfer was out. Who is that surfer? Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a lot of information about the actual event. Um, He's an East Coast pro. Yeah, I mean... Late I 70s. And... It, like, when you talk about East Coast pros, this is a pro who actually was on the tour, like who? No, he was, it was like in that formative year where it wasn't fully on tour. He was like a hot East Coast surfer. Yeah, was he, was he a, a hot actual, East Coast and, and he wrote an article about um, it. Tyler, let me ask you a question. Yes, did he, he wrote did he an he, article. In, in Surfer Magazine. 
or in the uh, surfer? Yes. Yes, oh, he rode in the it, surfer. Was it Bruce Faluzzi then? Yes, it was. Ding, okay. ding, ding. Jamie, Brew, you just got it. And <laughs> I got to read what he wrote about David Nueva from that article because it's so scathing. Because he was a good writer. I mean, gosh, do you know about Bruce Faluzzi? Dude, he wow, was he a was legend. Wild. And um, he I remember was doing when, Derek Kind contest writing before Derek Kind, by the way. Yeah, and, and when he died, like... um. It's a Swell magazine, the East Coast Surfing magazine. Do you remember yes. Swell magazine? Yeah, I have a few copies still. Yeah, there. it was originally South Swell, but they changed it just to Swell. And um, when he died, they did an obituary. And he seemed like this kind of wholesome, kind of, you know, like, you know, important guy in surfing. But then when you read the Mike Tabling profile in Surfers, you're like, oh my God, this guy was. And then you read more about him, you're like, whoa, they should make a movie about this guy. Yeah. Well, I got to read what he wrote about David Nueva. So I, I just thought it was, <laughs> it was so Derek Hind-esque before Derek Hind. He wrote, he was lucky to get ninth. David's exclusive use of longboards lately is not just a tactical error in equipment choice, but symptomatic of a larger problem. He wants to party all night, every night, then ride waves in the daytime. The effects are showing both his surfing and waistline. If Nueva wishes to successfully compete on the emerging pro circuit, which he says he does, he must be willing to train and condition himself as a professional athlete. David has as much natural grace and ability as anyone who has ever stood on a surfboard, but time marches on. Any young man is well advised to remember that economic support from athletics is relatively secure, secure for only the first third of an athlete's life. Anything past that is borrowed time. David's debt is mounting. Oh man, that's poetry. Oh, uh, but how a cool! Great writer. That's yeah. That's really good. It's really good. Oh man, I would have. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have him now. Yeah. And oh, how cool would it have been had David Nuiva actually been like in the top sixteen, like in under IPS. That would have been great. I mean, shit. like. <laughs> oh well all right i've got i've got one real question well the the original question i had i, I realized was inspired by one of the joints but you couldn't actually find the information in the joint so i i have to have that as a bonus question okay. um so the question i found is is through a link in the joint uh i feel like you should be able to get this one but let's uh -oh. see so credentials are going down the tube. <laughs> the name of the American surfing film made by Hollywood producers in the I think you know mid late sixties that showed the shortboard paradigm shift. It was originally an attempt when they started out making this film, and it was two brothers who made the film. They were trying to do a more professional version of the end of summer, and that they thought could be more lucrative. Um, and they started off. The, the premise was instead of to follow two guys around the world, they would follow the wind and sea surf team around the world. And the first half of the film, it's like this wholesome travelogue, you know, and it follows like, you know, yeah. Mickey Munoz and um, uh, yeah. all those guys. Anyway, they get to Australia and they realize that most Australians, not just the top guys, were riding 
short boards or mid lengths like I'm going to have soon and we're ripping and they had a contest and the Aussies, you know, kicked their ass and the film producers were like, Whoa, this is interesting. And then they met Nat Young and Bob McTavish and they said, wow, these guys are super interesting people. They're really articulate. And the second half of the film becomes just all about the Aussies and the short board. And um, it becomes, and I think, the second half, and I'm not sure, became it went from being a wholesome kind of film to like a psychedelic film. I'm not sure about I, that last. Part. I've seen I've seen bits of this movie too, and I'm like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I totally know what you're talking about, and I'm like totally fucking losing my mind because it's at the tip of my tongue. Okay, do you want any sort of clue? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a clue. In that, there are two words in the title that rhyme with each other. Gosh. Like, like if you're going to be the hot shot surfers or something like that, that would be an example of two words that rhyme. I don't know. Give it to me. Um, the fantastic plastic machine. No, there you go. Damn. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Well, here's Let a chance to redeem yourself, oh. Tyler. Okay. So in one of the recent joints, um, actually it was, it was the joint all about Derek Ho. Um, there, there was a link to the Allentown uh, wave pool surf contest. Speaking of wave pools, yeah, that they had, I think in '85, I think '85 or '86, that Tom Carroll won. Yeah, and oh, there's so many great. I've read so many stories about this contest. So many little anecdotes, uh, like, <laughs> like the time. Did you read about how? Uh, all the pros when they were just hanging out they were like going up to this really tall slide and sliding yeah. in it was really fun and then gary elkerton did you read what he did no what so did he gary elkerton walked up he walked up to the top of the slide and everyone else was just like kind of like going down the slide on their butts and going woohoo cannonball <laughs> and um he gets up there he strips off his shorty wetsuit puts it down stands on it and rides it like a snowboard down the whole thing like this huge slide <laughs> and he ends up uh planing across the whole pool like in the deep water on it to the other side to the wall tumbles off onto the deck completely <laughs> naked and just so awesome i don't remember reading that in his biography uh, it was, I think Matt George wrote about it in, um, I know, but I don't know yeah. why that wasn't in the biography of Kong and that I would have know. been a legendary story. Uh, well, that book was just, there's too many legendary things. That book he, was so fucking fun to read. Yeah. I really, I really think after it. listening to him on, was it the swells? Swell? No, ain't that swell. Ain't yeah. that swell. His voice and the way he talks, he would be the perfect guy to do the audio book if they had one. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that how many takes whole... would they have to take? And that could be a <laughs> that could be a <laughs> that could be a second career for him. Kind of like DC Green's second career. Oh, as um, a you wanna talk we didn't mention that. Yeah, well DC Green, writer, Gonzo surf journalist, uh, of the late nineties, early two thousands, and then uh Kim Children's book author, right? I know. That's so, so cool. cool. So cool. So cool. I love anyway, it. Anyway, um, so here's the question. And so during during the week or whatever it was that they were yeah. in Allentown, Pennsylvania for the wave pool contest, uh, one of the evenings they had a hot buns contest. 
and basically you had to get up on stage in your speedos and dance around and i think it was only men could enter and then they, i guess i don't know how they judged it maybe it was like women's cheers or something like that the winner of the hot buns contest um was a famous surfer who ended up wiping out while dancing and i think breaking his ankle who was the winner of the hot buns contest oh 1985 gosh. hot buns contest it was in Surfer Magazine at the time. As a kid, I read that. And I just thought, oh, cool. That's what surfers have to do. Um, I want it to be someone that you wouldn't think it would, would do it. You know? Like, I want it to be like Dave Parmenter or something, even though I know it's not. <laughs> that would be hilarious, you know? <laughs> um, well, there's a clue in Dave Parmenter, actually. Oh, oh. But it's not him. He didn't do it. No. Team rider, like like someone who is on the same team. No, nope. you can ask questions. You, you want to? Uh, all right. Um, is a surfer goofy foot or regular foot? Uh, regular foot. Okay. Um, did he ever make the top five? Never. Okay. He, well, he made the top five hot buns. <laughs> I want to be like Bryce Ellis or something weird like that. Uh, <laughs> but Bryce no, Ellis I don't think he was cool. around. Yeah. On that, um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, he was a very good friend of Matt, of um, uh, Dave Formenters. Okay, bring it. Who is it? Uh, Matt George. Oh. And that, That's I, a curveball because I always think of him as a journalist, even though I know, and a Navy SEAL, but I always think of him, I, th I don't think of him much as a pro surfer, even though him and his brother were. Yeah, and well, to answer your, to go back to your other question is, uh, is he someone you could imagine entering a hot buns contest? Absolutely. <laughs> Have you not seen in God's hands? Come on, he wrote the damn thing. <laughs> That guy totally was hot buns in it. He fucking went through the Navy SEAL course. <laughs> and then tried to start a surf journalism school in Bali. So oh, there you go. Well, on that on bombshell. You. All right. So um, thank you for joining us for our first episode of the Sunday Joint um, uh, with Tyler and Jamie Brewer. Uh, I'm Tyler. And you are? Jamie. I'm Jamie. Hey. And we want to thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you like this show and love geeking out and surf, just remember, go to eos.surf and you can find more awesome surf shit to spend more time or waste more time and go down these wells. And maybe one day you can come on and stump my bro with one of us. So um, we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. Woo.